Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back and we're waiting for Nate to join us. And while I'm waiting, I want to talk a little bit about Aurora Reservoir. We had a question um, early on in the show about somebody wanting to know about ice fishing on Aurora Reservoir. Now, in, uh, in fairness to, well, let's, Nate just joined Just let's him bring him into the conversation. Mr. Zelinsky, were you being tied up on your tournament event? I was not. I, I called it at 956. I don't know what the deal was. <laughs> Well, I, maybe you know, Ty is filling in for um, f- filling in this week, and maybe when he was our regular before, you you made him mad or something. <laughs> exactly. But I'm not I'm not going to question Ty's judgment. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. I'm here. That's what matters. We're good. Hey, we're going to talk about a lot of things. I know we've got an event going on. We want to talk about ice fishing opportunities. This cold weather is going to keep them going. We, and I don't know. I know you guys don't fish it very much, but we did have uh, a texter asking about conditions and what we're hearing about Aurora Reservoir. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Dustin is just out there this week. Dustin spent a ton of time out there. Matt Inslee spent a ton of time out there. Uh, I wish that I had talked to him in the last couple of days to know the current report. Uh, I unfortunately do not get out there at all. I will not lie about it. I know guys are catching a lot of fish. I know the walleye bite is hot. I just don't know what portions of the lake are, are fishable in the conditions of the ice. But I do know that the walleye bite is hot and guys are catching a lot of fish out there. Well, and, you know, Aurora is a little different. It, it's deeper, colder, clearer than our other front range lakes. I used to fish it a lot when I lived down by Cherry Creek Reservoir. And now that I'm up in Fort Collins, I don't get down there. But I can pass on a little bit of information from, and this is not from being out there this year, folks. This is from my past. But one presentation that really worked well at Aurora, because the forage base is different out there, and the depth of water that the fish occupy and the habits and the mix of fish that uh, I always had an active presentation like I always do, but boy, a jig and a minnow or a minnow on a dead stick uh, was just a a great presentation out there because it would get the walleyes, it would get trout, and if the larger perch were around, I could really get into a number of those perch and other panfish. Do you know if they've used any minnows out there at all, Nate? You know, I know that as of 10 days ago, two weeks ago, the last report I had, it was all about glide bait. So it was the you know, jigging wraps, pika minnows. Um, it was all about those gliding jigging wraps style baits. Um, and I know that perch color was the hottest color. I know guys were tipping those on the middle treble hook uh, on that like jigging wrap style bait with a minnow head. I know that's how it was working about 10 days ago. Um, it just seems like there's been a, a drastic increase um in fish activity in about the last five days again uh so i know that sitting on the top of contour changes with those glide style baits has been for sure the technique in the last five days um it's more so i don't know about the whole ice conditions uh aurora takes an influx of water um you know basically from piping systems and that's what really makes that ice conditions change out there so i just don't want to give misleading information on the ice conditions uh but i just know it's the glide bait perch pattern uh, that is catching a pile of walleye. Yeah, I would be extremely careful and check the ice with a spud bar. And if you're in the bays, uh, you should be okay, but be careful. But um, with this cold weather we've got coming, 
Uh, I would think that there should be good fishable ice for a while out there, but certainly that's not a guarantee. Check it. Let's talk about what you what you are doing. Are you at one of your events, Nate? I'm not, Terry. This is our one weekend off. It's the annual Three Lakes event, uh, so we kind of do it. We we basically have ran multiple events straight. Uh, we take one weekend off, and then we have three events back to back to back. Uh, so this is our one weekend off. So it is nice, Terry. We uh, the whole team's off. A lot of guys are guiding, uh, and yeah, we are just basically regrouping. So next weekend we head back to Utah uh, to our Vernal event, which is Steinecker Reservoir. That's probably one of our most anticipated events as far as fish catching. Um, it is not uncommon for us to see 350 to 400 fish hit the scale in a four-hour time period. So it is insane for fish catching. So we're there this coming Saturday. Uh, and we talked to a lot of anglers about that because that's probably our most attended event from Colorado residents in Utah. It is basically just 30, 40 miles over the border uh, into Utah. So we see a lot of Colorado anglers just wanting to kind of get out uh, and experiment fishing Utah. So we're excited about that. So again, that's in Vernal, uh, basically the northwest corner of Colorado, jump the border and you hit Steinecker. Um, Steinecker is it's a reservoir that's been, you know, established for many, many years. Uh, but in about the last five years, they basically rebuilt it. So they they did a full drainage. They did a fish kill. Um, they did a restocking, kind of rebuilt the park a little bit. Um, so it's fairly new waters. Uh, and much that comes with new waters is very much like when you do a, a Lake John rebuild. Um, fishing tends to be hot. So great genetics of trout. Uh, primary species is going to be rainbows, but we get browns. We get, you know, big giant bluegills, uh, crappies, so all kinds of panfish mixed with an unbelievable population of trout. Uh, So we're excited about that. Then we have our private event. A lot of people ask questions about this because they'll see little tidbits in the public. Uh, We host a great big corporate event uh, on February 11th, so we'll be doing that tied up. That's about a 200-person event. Um, And then we go to a Grand Lake for our finale on February 18th, Um, and that's just such a unique event. And that big event there at Grand Lake is actually the A&A Topper event, uh, which, again, is a partner of the show, so we're excited about that one. So, yeah, we have the weekend off and crazy events coming up after that. Um, So we just want to take today and kind of talk about ice conditions. We want to talk about slush a little bit um, and then just talk about, yeah, what we can do to help our listeners catch more fish while they're getting out there. Okay. Before we get into that, I want to make a mention of ANA because they've been, they are the longest running partner, I I believe, on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And not only do they partner with our show, but they are so active in the outdoors, helping things like Pheasants Forever, Ducks Unlimited, they're at all the shows. They're helping you, and they've partnered with virtually every every fishing uh, personality you hear on the show has been partnered with them. They really give a lot to the outdoor community, Nate. A hundred percent, Terry. And I, I think that not just that, they, they align themselves with their passion, which is the outdoors. Um, so I think that's huge. And I think that they take care of people. That's the biggest thing. I mean, I don't know anybody who has ever gone in there and not felt that they had a great experience. I mean, they are right on top of things as far as price. 
So you're going to go in there. You're going to get the best price around, hands down, uh, on any of the things that you're looking for, which we'll talk about here in a second. So pricing is huge. Hospitality is huge. Timing is, is great. So I think everything that they do as far as a business, not even just that we're pushing it to sportsmen, but they do as a business um, is fantastic. And then, again, the fact that we're all outdoorsmen, they're outdoorsmen, it just kind of aligns you know, very nicely. And we talk about that. And I think everybody here is A&A Topper, um, you know, two locations, but it's not just toppers. I mean, you look at me, I don't have a topper on my truck. I am active use of the bed of my truck. I tow a gooseneck trailer. Um, but when you look at, at, you know, my truck, for example, you know, our, our kind of our flagship of, of that uh, big F-350, everything on that truck is from them. So airbags for towing, they install. And I have to say their installation team is second to none. I mean, there's times where, you know, it's an option to get stuff other places, but I want them to install it. You know, even things that I could do myself, their wiring, their installation is the best in the industry. So like on my truck, it is front bumper, it's winches, it's a light bar, it's lighting underneath for accessories it's my fog lights it's you know again my seat covers my all the way down to you know basically the, the mud flaps on the truck everything associated with my truck accessory wise is done there at a and a topper and they just do such a great job um, of making sure it's the right stuff for you and, and getting it in there right i couldn't agree more okay where's uh, what's going on in ice fishing in colorado you know Geez Louise, Terry, the, the ice on the front range, you know, we talk about this all the years, and I mean, the last couple we've had really good ice conditions, uh, but there's years where the reservoirs never even freeze. Um, I think the front range ice, we always get ice. It's just a matter of how much ice, how long does it last, and all of that type thing. I measured the ice down kind of on the southwest arm of Chatfield the other day, and we are now suppressing that, that, that 12 inches. So we are at that 13 inches of ice on that south arm um, you know, we're eight, nine inches on most of the lake. The, the ice at Chatfield is fantastic. The ice at Cherry Creek is fantastic. You know, smaller fisheries, Bear Creek is as that 10 inches plus. Um, our ice conditions are continuing to be spectacular on the front range. So as much as I want to talk about the kokanee bite at 11 mile and the pike and the trout and everything else, why we have this ice on the front range, I think that's one thing that we really have to talk about is, again, it's not all years that we have such great ice on the front range. So make sure you take advantage, whether you're walleye fishing, whether you're trout fishing, whether you're catching bass, which not all years do we have ice kind of on the bigger bodies of water on Chatfield where we can target bass. Um, so those bites are all going on strong. So I think we should touch base on that. And then I want to give some helpful hits on dealing with slush. A lot of that Williams Fork, Granby, we got a lot of slush appearing up in those bodies of water. Uh, so great ideas on, on how to handle that. Well, take us through it, my friend. All right. So on the slush idea, I got to talk about that because I had a lot of anglers avoiding going up into the mountains because uh, of that. Not all the mountain fisheries have slush, but again, you look at the Williams Fork or, or the Grambys, those are the two that are probably starting to see slush the most. Um, number one, when I go to like a Williams Fork to deal with the slush, when you talk to ice anglers and you mention snowshoes, people immediately put up a red flag and they're like, I am not dealing with that. But at the end of the day, when you throw on a pair of snowshoes, you don't have to have snowshoes for going through the biggest, deepest powder in the world. You know, you don't need 36 inch snowshoes, just a smaller snowshoe that's going to kind of widen out that footprint and you will not 
sink into that snow. You won't sink into that slush. So when I'm going to those places where I might have to take a longer walk like Williams Fork, um, I'm throwing on a small pair of snowshoes, and it is unbelievable how it is a dream to walk on. I'm packing the snow. I'm not dipping into the slush. And then my sled following me is not dipping into the slush. And that's probably the biggest thing. So as I drag sleds out there and drag ice shacks with me, as long as I pack that snow as I'm walking, my sled stays right on my pack tracks, and it is super easy walking. So if you're going to go somewhere slush, think about uh, an inexpensive pair of snowshoes. It makes a night and day difference of walking, of dragging, of not having wet boots. Um, it is absolutely huge. And then on the fisheries where I'm taking snowmobiles out, whether it's Green Mountain, whether it's Granby, um, when I'm taking a snowmobile out there, I keep hearing all these stories of people getting stuck at the Three Lakes tournament that's going on right now as we speak. Uh, a lot of anglers are talking about that. If you have a snowmobile out there and it's not a big mountain sled, you, know, you have a, a traditional touring-type snowmobile, when you pull up to a spot, pull up to your spot, you know, be using your GPS, but when you pull up to your spot, continue on make a loop so i make paths as i come up to stop when i'm in really slushy conditions especially if i don't have a, a larger mountain snowmobile so when you pull up to your spot make a couple loops so i pull up on the gps instead of stopping turning the sled off letting it cool let it sink just make a couple paths to where you pack down a nice nice trail to and from your spot and then swing back around and then park on your existing tracks once it's packed down you will not have issues getting stuck you know letting the snowmobile cool and drop into that slush so just on your approaches in those slushy conditions make sure you think about those little things build some paths coming in takes two seconds to make a little loop real quick park on your existing tracks and it is a big difference um, of a great day on the ice and, and an exhausting not as much fun day on the ice so just think about those two things on some of those mountain-type fisheries, um, again, it'll make a lot more of your day out there. All right, let's take it back. we got about two, three minutes. Let's take it back to the front range. Where would you go fishing in the next few days? You know, Jerry, so whether you're going to go to Chatfield, Aurora, you know, Cherry Creek, any of these fisheries, I want to talk about building a plan. So that walleye bite, some days it is that low light period. So no matter what, if you're walleye fishing, the low light period is going to be your peak early in the day, late in the day. So, you know, an hour or two before the sun comes up, an hour or two after the sun goes down, um, and you're catching fish in the morning. Afternoon, same thing. You know, get out there at that 3.30, you know, 4 o'clock, fish until an hour after dark, you're going to catch walleye. Some days, I had a great day at Chatfield the other day where the fish bit all day. We were able to get out there, uh, started in the morning. When I left at you know, 10 o'clock, 11, the walleyes were still going strong. But I, I can't say that you can count on those days all the time. But with that being said, plan out your days, especially with the walleye concept being low light. Um, I'm trying to make more time when I'm on the water. So I hit the walleye in those peak times, right at that twilight hour. But if I'm going to stay out there all day, I'm then switching to either trout, switching to perch, switching to bass. Um, the bass, the panfish, um, the trout, they will feed all day long. So I more want to talk to anglers about building a plan. You know, instead of just sitting on your walleye grounds and hoping maybe one will come through, make the most of your day and catch a lot of fish. So when you get out there, if it's a morning time, hit the walleye for those first couple hours. When they fade out, move to the mud flat and find those big schools of those perch. Move to the top of a flat near a weed edge where those trout are cruising through. Move to deep water structure where those bass are feeding, but you can go out to a fishery like Chatfield right now. You can have, uh, you know, in the hours of a six, seven hour day on the ice, 
you can target and be very successful on three or four species, really increasing your odds of, a, of an amazing day on the ice. And we're doing that with a lot of our guide trips. We're picking two species. We're doing walleyes for three hours and then bass for three hours or walleye for two, three hours and then perch. Um, so we've been doing a lot of kind of those crossover guide trips. And it's just a lot of fun to switch it up, you know, catch multiple species, really fill the freezer and that type of thing and having some great days on the ice, Terry. Well, one of the things we used to do for the evening walleye bite, and I know you do this a lot, is we pre-drill the holes where we think the walleyes are going to show up to feed. Now, you have to do your homework so you have some ideas, and we drill maybe five to ten holes across a, a piece of structure at different depths, but then we'd leave that alone and go trout and panfish fishing and come back to those just as we were getting to that time so we weren't disturbing those fish by drilling over them when the bite started. You still that do that? is absolutely a, a huge concept because if you drill on top of those fish right in those peak twilight hours, it's pretty easy to scare the shad and then therefore scare the walleyes off and really decrease your odds. So I, I couldn't have said it more. Pre-drilling those holes out to where you have that plan is absolutely crucial. I always pick one species to be kind of my primary, which is like the walleye, and then I kind of ta- tailor off on the other species after that. But having those holes pre-drilled is huge. I see it every day when I'm out there, morning and evening, to where angles will show up right at like the, the sun up or right at the sundown, drill holes, and they'll, you know, they'll scale their fish away. But not only, they'll scare some of my fish away if they're too close. So, so having that concept of timing and when you're drilling those holes is a huge, huge way uh, to increase your odds on the, on the water or decrease your odds of that if you're the one doing those holes. We are out of time, my friend. We're going to let you go. If people want more information, tight line outdoors. That's it. Think about coming to Steinecker next week if you want to try a new fisheries. If not, make sure you get signed up for Grand Lake right now. Again, go to tightlineoutdoors.com. Watch our Facebook page for more ice conditions. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to see everybody on the water. All right. We will talk to you next week. All right, Nate. Thanks. Thank you. Nate Zelensky. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to sh- switch things up, and we're going to talk Archery with the folks at Jack's on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us from the Jack's East in Loveland is Robert Holmes. Good morning, Robert. Hey, good morning, Terry. You know, we should start out right away, but there's two Jack stores in uh, Loveland. Tell people which store you're at. Well, we are at 950 East Eisenhower, uh, right across the street from the Home Depot on the east end of town. And you just, uh, that store used to be, well, it's always been a combination outdoor gear and and Hormon Farm or Farm and whatever I yeah, to get that wrong, but it's been a combination store, but it was always a little crowded in there because you had a lot of stuff in there. Well, that's not the case anymore. You have expanded that. Tell us about it. Yes, um, just recently we expanded to the backside of the building, opened up where the Gold's Gym used to be, and expanded approximately 40,000 square feet. Our retail space now is over 90,000 square feet. And now we are the largest Jack's outdoor gear in uh, the company. Yeah, and you like to say in the world, right? <laughs> yeah, it's biggest one in the world. Um, That's right. We, we are doing a grand opening event the weekend of February 23rd. So, you know, come out, see what we've got, see what we're, we've got going on. 
and uh, you'll find all kinds of things that you need at your house. Well, and it's open right now, obviously, but the grand opening is coming. Um, yes. and, uh, and, and you've expanded a lot of areas, and you're going to get to your area in just a minute. But one of the things, you know, when, when you built the other jacks on the west side of town, a lot of the fly fishing stuff went to that store, and you cut back in the store in the east. Well, that's not the case anymore. I understand you're going to have the full-blown fly fishing gear there now, too. Yes, we do. We expanded fly fishing. We expanding our, expanded our ice fishing footprint, our snow sports that includes rental equipment, and uh, several other things. But, yes, the fly fishing has expanded. Now, one of the things that's expanded is what your baby is and what's close to your heart, and that's the archery. That East store is now going to become a full, eventually a full archery tech store with a pro shop. Tell us where you're at right now. In fact, you've already put in a range, I think. Yes, we have um, five lanes that are 18 yards. Uh, we have rental bows for children and adults. Um, our buyers, they're just developing our brand and expanding what we have in merchandise. And we're really trying to become a full-service bow shop. Uh, we're going to try to create some competitive leagues and just really become a bow shop you can come to year-round, have your bow worked on, get some coaching, and also shoot competitively in our lanes. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things you're going to offer. Talked about um, the range. What does it cost to shoot? What Describe the, the range and what does it cost to shoot there? Well, for children and adults, it's um, $5 for children, $6 for adults. The rental bows, uh, currently we have recurve bows. For an adult, it's $8 for an hour with the recurve. For a child, it's $6 an hour. And, and, and of course, you can bring your own gear. You can bring your own gear, yes. Now, if I'm shooting, I say I, I, I don't archery hunt anymore. I did years and years ago. But I know this is true of rifle hunters, and it was true of archery hunters, too, that we put our bows away at the end of a season, and we don't take them out till way too late in the year. And I want to get to you about practice and how important it is. But first of all, if I come to a range like you have at Jackson, now I can go shoot at ranges, at parks and things like that. But if I'm having equipment issues or I want to discuss maybe the strings or something, I'm, there's going to be a pro staff right there to answer questions while I'm shooting, right? We are getting to the point and we are working towards the goal of anytime the doors are open, we're going to have some staff on hand that can help answer questions and resolve issues with your bow. If you need new equipment, we can make good recommendations as to what you have uh, or what you need versus what you currently have. Now, eventually you're going to have some brands, you're working on those, but what kind of services will you be offering to the archery enthusiasts at your pro shop? Well, um, we want to be able to get you on the range and practicing anytime you want when our doors are open. That's, that's the biggest thing is stay active and continue with your training during your off season. Uh, we're going to help you side in. We're going to give you coaching on technique and, um, get you to where you're consistent and confident and increase your distance and increase your success when you are out there hunting. What if I need 
upgrades or work done on my bow? What kind of things will you offer? Um, if if we don't have it, we're going to develop. We are developing a system to be able to order it first of all. Um, but yes, if if you need a new sight, a uh, new string, uh, a new rest, we are going to p- be able to put it on and install all of that equipment and get you dialed in to where you're shooting consistently and hitting what you're aiming at. You told me in a previous conversation that one of the things at the pro shop, a lot of times if people bring in a brand you're not familiar with it, you're more than welcome to work on it. But a lot of times if they'd bring their book in, that would help? Oh, yes. Um, a lot of, A lot of times what you'll get is you'll have somebody that has a 10 or 15-year-old bow, they want to get it out, dust it off, and get to shooting it again. We want you to do that. You know, uh, upgrading, always the newer equipment is more technically efficient. But if you bring in an older bow and you happen to have the old owner's manual, bring that in with you. That just helps any technician at any store that um, allows them to be able to do exactly what that bow is set up to do and set it up the way it's intended to by the manufacturer. But, yes, that's that's always a great idea. One of the things you told me, too, is one of the biggest mistakes people make is where they stow their bows. Yes. Um, storing your bow in any environment, out in a garage or in an attic where the weather and the temperature and the humidity is always changing, really stretches and bends your limbs and stretches your strings out and um, stresses them out. The best thing to do is store them where you're going to have consistent temperature ranges. I store mine in the basement of my house. Um, We have happen to have a finished basement, and I'm able to leave my uh, bows in the basement where the temperature relatively doesn't change constantly throughout the year. We have had customers come in who, quite honestly, one customer I dealt with a couple of years ago at a different company, stored his bow in his garage, in his car, in his trunk for about 90 days. And he warped his limbs by just simply storing it in the garage, in his trunk of his car, um, during the heat of the summer, and couldn't understand why it warped. So consistent temperatures consistent storage in a in your house um in a closet in a basement where the temperatures don't have extremes of change now last thing you and i we're not going to have time to talk a lot about practice but you're a you and i both are big believers in practicing year-round that it takes practice with any shooting sports whether it's archery or firearms to stay there they're perishable skills. Your habits will change. You need to build muscle memory. You need to practice. And one great way to practice is you guys are going to start some leagues. Tell us about that. Our goal is to have leagues where customers can come in and be competitive and shoot against each other um, and have nights where you can just come in and practice. But even in the off season, practicing and being able to join a league, shoot with other um, competitors, shoot with other hunters, and continue to keep your skills developed and your confident, confidence developed um, will increase the shot you're willing to take, the, the confidence to make that shot, and um, as you say, uh, humane harvest. 
when you do get out there and start hunting uh, so you're not making a mistake. We're out of time, but if they want information about the leagues you're starting, just stop by the store. Stop by the store, call and ask for Robert Holmes. I will talk to you, and if we don't have it, we will order it, and we will get you pointed in the right direction and get you more confident in your shooting. All right, Robert. Thank you so much. Hey, you have a great day. Thank you. Robert Holmes from the East Jackson, Loveland. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Chad Lachance is going to show us join us and i got a feeling he's drooling over some new boats down at the boat show all that and more on terry wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 the fan you're listening to terry wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 the fan let's go to the phones and joining us one of our regular contributors chad lachance good morning chad hey good morning terry this morning you know, I'm doing well, and, you know, you and I have been fortunate in our lives and careers to have great sponsors and been involved in the media, and we've both had dozens of brand-new boats. But I can't help but think that when you're down at the boat show, you still don't get a little a little bit jacked up and looking at those new boots, boats and getting some new boat envy. Uh, you know, it never gets old for me. I can honestly say that, and... Uh... And, you know, the excitement in the building with everybody else looking at all, it's fun. I, I thoroughly enjoy the boat show because I don't have to do much but talk boats with people. So it's fun to, to be there and, and build around. And uh, my new boat's front and center there. So the 2023 Rangers that I'll be fishing in this year and filming it is uh, front and center right at Crowd Marines booth when you walk in. And uh, it's actually not even quite all the way built out yet. There's still a few things left to put on it, but it's brand new, shiny, and uh ready to answer questions, but the guys at Crowley have uh, the fiberglass rangers, but they also have the aluminum lungs in both the bass and the, and the DP configurations, as well as Sylvan. So a bunch of fishing boats there, all different kinds, and uh, lots of sparkly stuff to look at. Kids were having a good time climbing around in them yesterday. Well, you know, this is a great time. I always used to love that time when I did the boat shows, and I used to travel all over the country doing boat shows, but especially here in Colorado is that people come in and they want a boat, but they really don't know what questions they need to ask. They don't understand. <clears throat> they set a budget, but they don't understand what they can get for that budget. And sometimes they make compromises that end up, if you're a fisherman, making it not a very good fishing boat. Well, yeah, I think that's the best thing about the in general. You can compare and contrast different things. You can see them. You can put your hands on them. You can walk around in the boat and get a feel for it and you know these days a lot of people like to buy a lot of stuff online and, and all that but at the end of the day it's a boat it's a big purchase and to be able to put your hands on it and get in it and all that is really important and second of all they have guys like me there uh and there's a bunch of us milling around there austin parr another regular contributor he's working down there bob bjorklin one of the best bass guys in the state of colorado is down there a couple of the walleye guys and you know we can answer questions based on like you said having had a whole bunch of boats over the years and um, and try different things. You know, when you know you don't have to have a boat for, for more than a year because you're going to sell it at the end of the year, well, then I can take some risks and try some things and see if I like it and if I don't. And this is my – the boat sitting down at the boat show right now is my 15th Ranger, and I was doing some math last night. I think it's my 19th or 20th fishing boat. So it's, I've done this a bunch, and it gives me a chance to be able to answer questions for other people, uh, you know, as far as making sure that they get the needs that they want. And the, 
the thing I see most common is people think they know what they want, and then they start looking at the boats, and then they, well, no, I really don't. I didn't really think about that, and you know, and, and it definitely changes their buying decision. And it's a big purchase, so you want to do it right the first time. Well, you know, another thing that's really changed in the fishing boat buying end of things is that I can go back, well, probably before you were born, but I can go back a long ways. <laughs> and some of my early boats, I mean, you know, we put a depth finder on them eventually, and, and maybe eventually we added an electric trolling motor, and, of course, those all became standard equipment. But as that equipment has evolved, accessorizing your boat with your 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 electrical propelling devices and your sonar devices and your GPS devices is almost more important than the boat you buy anymore. Yeah, it's it's hugely important, and and, uh, and you have so many options, and you can spend so much money on it if you choose to do so. Uh, there's a customer that that left with a with a six twenty one, a big DB Ranger boat with six graphs on it, and that's a major. You know, that's a major investment for one. It needs to be well chosen, well set up, and it's a big deal. But commercially, they've got some little, you know, uh, aluminum boats with one or two. Whoop, let me kill that by alarm to try to Sorry about that. Um, but they have some of the small aluminum boats with, you know, a little tiny, very basic fish finder and basic trolling motor. It really depends on what you want to do with it and how much room to grow it you want and where you're going to take it. And the other thing people need to keep in mind is where am I going to store it? And that may make a big difference in what boat you can buy. And that conversation came up a bunch yesterday. Well, yeah, and you don't always have to get everything at once. <clears throat> Some, my first fishing boat that I owned was a 12-foot crest liner that went on top of my car with a 7.5-horsepower Johnson outboard that leaked gas and oil in the trunk of my car. Now, I came a long way from that, but... But I mean, but I caught fish. I caught fish in that boat, and I ended up. I ended up out in the water with some of the most famous fishermen in the world back decades ago in little boats like that. And we learned and we caught fish. So you know, anything that can get you on the water and catch fish will work. But where you place your money and what you get for your money is important. Um, I always used to feel that the number one place that people would skimp that would hurt them the most, especially here in Colorado, was underpowering their boat. Yeah, and that conversation's consistent there at the boat show over and over again. The thing is people need to keep in mind is with the elevation we're at and the elevation that these boats are going to run around in, you're going to have a significant horsepower drop. And it's still, so that motor may say that it's 150 horsepower, but when you put it on the water, spinning reservoir, you're going to be lucky if it makes 125 and that's because of the elevation. And so it's really important to get max horsepower here. And, and firstly, people say, well, why do you need to go that fast? It's not about going fast. It's about going safely in any condition and getting out of the hole comfortably in any condition. And, yeah, okay, my boat's fast. I get it. But at the, the, the drivability side of it, the torque that the motor makes and the power-to-weight ratio of the boat to the motor is what makes the boat safe in crazy conditions. When when you're out in the middle of John Martin and the waves get big, well, now I want to make sure I have a lot of torque and a lot of horsepower to get me back to the ramp so that I can barge along and utilize that motor. And if you are underpowered, that is no fun. Plus, it's just no fun to drive. You know, no one likes to drive an underpowered vehicle, even if you're not a speed demon. When the, when the boat's laboring to do everything, that's no fun at all. <clears throat> and so it's definitely important to do that. 
And these days, I think um, we, you, you touched on the trolling motor. You've got to have a trolling motor, if at all possible, with some sort of GPS system, anchor system to it, because that has just, I mean, day in and day out, I use my GPS anchor a lot, like all the time. I use my power poles and I use my other tools, but that GPS anchor makes all the difference in the world. It allows you to not man the boat for a minute and as far as driving it if you're drifting across the middle of the lake or whatever the case might be. So I would strongly consider trying to come up with, the, with that in my budget to have a GPS uh, controllable uh, trolling motor as well. I my spot lock, which is a GPS controlled uh, anchor. Um, so ever since I've had that feature on my boat, it's probably been my most used feature. I don't know how many times when I'm out with somebody, or even by myself, I'm landing a fish, I'm re-rigging, and I drift off a spot, and it's sometimes hard to get back on. Or I'm approaching a spot, and I want to change some presentation. I don't want to drift across the lake. Uh, I I don't I don't even put a, a a regular anchor in my boat anymore because then they want to check it for invasive species if it's been in the water. I just use my, I just use my spot lock. It's probably the most used feature on my boat. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I see guys saying, Oh, I won't really need that. I won't really need that. And that's, that's an experience when you get in the boat, you'll figure out you do. I use mine. It's second nature. Every single time I hook a fish or anybody in my boat hooks a fish, I stomp on that lock button. Every time I need to retire or we're drifting or whatever, I stomp that lock button, and I do it all day long, every day. And uh, and it just, like I said, it keeps you on your spot. It keeps you from having to worry about where the boat's going. And even if I'm just hanging out in the lake in the, in the evening and, and having some you know some food out in the lake right here, I still spot lock it all the time because, I, like I said, you don't have to anchor it. So I just pull up wherever I happen to be in the back of the code somewhere and hit the button, and it'll just sit there and do so silently and uh and that's a really really handy thing so i would want to put that in my budget for sure i would consider uh like you said the max gas motor on the back for sure you can upgrade electronics but make sure that you at least have some basic uh, electronics and these days it's it, it's there's really no excuse to not you can get a pretty solid fish finder gps combo for pretty cheap these days in a boat and um and, you know, there's just no excuse to not have that. And then from there, everything else becomes stylistic, right? Do I need a deep V? Do I want a, a shallow V or a modified V? Do I want a fiberglass boat or an aluminum boat? And that's where, where one of a guy like me starts asking you lots of questions of where you're going with it, what are you towing with it, or what you can tow it with, I should say, you know, uh, da, 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 and go through a whole list of questions and hopefully get to the bottom, <clears throat> the bottom well, line I, not, and what kind of boat's going to be best suit you. Well, another thing, too, is, Buy a fishing boat from a dealer who understands fishing boats and have him do the rigging for you. It may cost you a little more up front, but it is so worth it. Oh, for sure. That's why I've been working with Kai Marine for so long, Terry. Everybody in there fishes, and most of them are tournament fish even. And so they understand what you need because they have, I mean, geez, Brent, the, the manager there, his brand new ranger boat's sitting down there as well. He just got his set up for, for uh, his tournament season this year. And so... Yeah, the guys that know how to do it, they know what you're going to do with it as an angler, so they understand that side. It's important. And then the other thing is eventually you're going to want to winterize it or service it or whatever it is you need to do, and you're going to get priority. At least I know at Crown Reed you will if you buy the boat from them. If you had bought a boat somewhere else and called them, you won't get to the front of the line like you do if you bought the boat there. And that's understandable because they only have so much shop time that they can do, almost so much space. And so they put the priority of people that bought their boats there. So 
that's good customer service for the people that did. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's why I've been with those guys. And we were thinking about that yesterday. I think I started working with Crime Marine in 2009. It's been a long time. So I have a lot of history with those guys. Real quick, um, we're out of time, but what are the hours today and tomorrow down at the boat show? Today it's uh, 10 to 8, and tomorrow it's 10 to 5, and uh, it's at the Colorado Convention Center. And it's packed. There's a lot of boats there, that's for sure, this year. And uh, kids uh, under 16 getting free adults, I want to say off the top of my head, are 14. And it was busy yesterday. So there's also a lot of accessories and stuff there to look at if you're interested in maybe carpeting your boat or getting a new bimini top or some sort of canvas cover. Uh, There's all sorts of accessories for boats there as well. All right, my friend, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks very much, Terry. Thanks. Sorry about my voice. You bet. Chad Lachance, Fishful Thinker. If you follow his TV shows, he's a regular here. We're going to take a time out and we come back. We'll wrap up the show. And I also want to ask Dan Jacobs some pertinent questions about this Broncos coaching search. All that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1043 The Fan. You're just a teardrop in my eyes each night. I cry myself to sleep. You're just a memory of a love. You are listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1043 The Fan. Teardrop My Eyes is one of the singles off of our EP from Wickstrom and Dober that we released last year at this time. Uh, You can find our music if you like the little bits you hear and hear it in its entirety on. You can go to YouTube or any of your streaming services. Just search Wickstrom and Dober. We appreciate it. A couple things before I get to Mr. Dan Jacobs, who I know is patiently waiting. He never patiently waits for anything, but we'll get to him in a minute. Um, Somebody texted in and asked about Dowdy Reservoir ice fishing. I have ice fished it a couple times this year. Uh, Early in the year, if you pull in by the boat landing and go to the far side of those islands, especially the one to the left, and fish in five or six feet of water, there's a lot of trout cruising. Um, and it's very successful. Now, during the course of time, the oxygen levels and the pressure may push those fish out of there. So you may want to check that, but it may not be the best opportunity right now. The other place, when it gets later in the year, I tend to go down towards that flat by the dam where you drive past the boat landing and go out maybe 10 to 20 feet of water and look for fish with my electronics. Now, for presentations out there, I like to use a spoon to attract the fish in, but they very seldom hit it. So I need another presentation, which is usually a small jig with either a piece of a gulp or a wax worm on it. And that'll work quite well. I took my grandson out to Dowdy earlier this year. A couple hours before the wind come up, we easily caught 20 trout. So it can be very productive. Move around a little bit if you're not finding, if you're not finding the fish. Uh, next week, Uh, Derek Wolf will be joining the show. We're going to talk not just about his mountain lion. Everybody's heard that story about what he's got coming up in his outdoor ventures. So that'll be kind of fun. So we've got all that that coming up. The front range ice is going to stay good with this cold weather. Get out and take advantage of it. Now, is Mr. Dan Jacobs in the studio? Now, just be careful, Terry, because you know there's no such thing as safe ice. You do listen, don't you? I do listen, yes. Yes, we always say... That's our one of our sayings. There's no such thing as safe ice, but ice fishing can be extremely safe if you use common sense. Now, that's a great segue into my question. Is the Broncos' ownership using common sense, or are they thinking the value of this position is so attractive and they're almost 
getting wanting people to beg them rather than trying to sell some of the better coaches? I have. It's a great question, Terry. I don't know if it's paralysis by analysis. I traditionally have said that that the interview processes for coaches in the NFL has is too gut, you know, too much up to somebody's guts or whims or whatever. It's not detailed enough. However, having said that, I have no idea what these guys are doing. I have no idea what their criteria are. It's not a good look. They're corporate. Now you've been you spent a lot of time in the corporate world, Terry. You know people act differently in the corporate world versus the sports world, right? So maybe right. they're just like, hey, we're used to taking our time, going through all of the candidates, fi- finding out who's most qualified, what's most important. Maybe this is all a good thing. But for us on the outside looking in with very little information to go on, uh, all sorts of people reporting all sorts of stuff, it just doesn't look great. But maybe they got something brilliant up their sleeve. Yeah, I hope so, because every – Every candidate that was mentioned as a possibility has virtually turned the job down. Well, every favorite, um, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe Peyton is Sean Peyton may still be in the mix, but it hasn't sounded good. But every time they, they circle somebody, that somebody all of a sudden falls to the bottom of the list or says they're staying where they're at or goes somewhere else, which tells me they haven't painted the Broncos' picture as an attractive one, Danny. Well, let me ask you this question, Terry. Now, you've been around a lot of fishing tournaments in your lifetime, right? Yep. And there's a couple probably Hall of Famers types that, that, that have championship after championship that you know every time their boat hits the water, they're going to have a great shot at taking home some hardware, right? Is that, is that an accurate yep. statement? Yep. And every once in a while, I would assume there's a hot young buck that goes out there, has a good day, maybe a good season, and they kind of jump up a little bit. Is that is that also a fair statement that oh, anybody very, can win, right? Very fair. Yeah. Yep. So if you had to, at the beginning of fishing season, of all these tournaments, I'm sure there's tournaments that run all around stuff, who would you rather have? The guy that's been there, that's done it, that knows how to put the systems in place and has the trophies and the hardware and the pedigree to – to, to show their qualifications or the young buck that, that that's on a hot streak? Who would you rather have? If you, if you, if Terry Wickstrom was sponsoring a fishing team this year, who would you rather have? Well, it'd be the experienced angler who's proven he has the ability. There you go. Why is it that hard? Or is it this hard? Did I lose you? Yeah, no, I'm here. Did we lose you, Terry? Oh, no, I'm here now. Yeah, I no, I'm just saying I... it shouldn't be this hard. When you're a team that's as bad as the Broncos has been – you don't need some hot young buck, and I know they're 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 in, in vogue right now because some of them have had some success in the league, right? But you're the Broncos. You're in a bad spot. You've been one of the worst teams in the league for a long time. Wouldn't you want to go with a proven commodity, Terry? Well, I think it's going to take a proven commodity to get Wilson's respect. Somebody has to tell him, you're going to play this way, and we're going to do it my way, and not have him be rebellious about it, even if he does it tactfully. Right. You're not playing with uh, cornmeal bait when we know they're, they're uh, responding to the fish are biting on the synthetics, right? Something like that. All right. I better close this out so Ty can do a, a station ID, and I'll let you finish this Thank you, Terry. Thanks, Coach. All right. We're going to wrap up Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Join us every Saturday at 9 to 11. Thanks, Ty, for doing a great job. Karen, for keeping me on the air. We'll let the Eagles take us to Dan Jacobson Sports on 104.3 The Fan.